Hey, everybody. It's really good to see you. It's really good to be back. Last week, I um, was preaching down in Massachusetts, and uh, at my previous church, they asked me to come back, and it was a lot of fun, and um, it's even more fun to come home. I was telling Elliot how much I missed being here with my church family, and so it's good to be back. Speaking of uh, things we're thankful for, Thanksgiving, hard to believe, four days away. What a great holiday, the most American of the holidays. We eat, we watch football, we eat, we watch football, we nap, we eat, we watch football. But really, feasts are great. Getting invited to a feast is awesome. And what's better than a feast but a feast with people that you really, really love, the people you can kind of just be around. And maybe you're like, well, that feast with my extended family is not on Thursday. That's a different feast. I don't know. But... um. What makes for a good feast, what makes for a good dinner party, what makes for a good banquet are being surrounded by the right kind of people. It's a combination of the food, the place, and the people that you're surrounded with, real, genuine relationships. And uh, this morning, we're going to kind of drop back into a dinner party that Jesus was invited to last week, and he's going to kind of spell out some uh, some dinner time directives, as it were, some some banquet instructions, some in, in, instructions for invitations. And as we look at this, I want us to think about, like, if God were to throw a party, if he were to invite people to a party, what would it look like? Like, would you be invited? Would I be invited? Who would be there? And what would we learn about God from it? Well, today, as we drop into this passage, we're going to see that God is starting a party. He's inviting people to a party, and we're going to see that the guests at God's party are the people who will enjoy it the most. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to drop in to verse 12. Luke writes, he also said to the one who had invited him, this is Jesus talking, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a field. And I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind and lame. Master, the sermon said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, 
Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning that we would be drawn to Jesus, the one through whom you are inviting us into relationship with you. Jesus, would you be magnified through the preaching of your word in, in spirit? Would you fill us and convict us and draw us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three simple points to walk us through our passage this morning. The first is party invitations. Party invitations. Jesus kicks off this passage with his dinnertime directives. He's all this talk about who to invite to a party. And let's remember where Jesus is. As, as mentioned before, Jesus is at a party right now. So he's sitting at a party um, with Pharisees and others who are there as well. And he's giving instructions. Now, like it's really, like I want us to kind of place ourselves in the room, as it were. I want you to imagine you get an invitation to a party and you see the address there and you're like, oh, that's, that's the nice neighborhood. And you show up at this dinner party. Um, you, it's like, it's a nice big house and with a big front door and you ring the doorbell. You're kind of dressed a little bit nicer. You walk in and the place is decked out. It is a swanky place, and you, you, as you're ushered into where everyone's gathered in the party, you notice that you pass like a large tray of good hors d'oeuvres, right? Like, I mean, like bacon-wrapped scallops, um, some caviar, you know, all of the good stuff. And maybe if you don't like any of those, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll pray for you. So you walk past this like nice large tray of hors d'oeuvres and into the dining room. And you kind of pan the dining room. You realize there's a lot of seats at this dining room table. It's a big table that the guest has here. And then you begin to look around the room. And you notice that each person that comes in is carrying a nice bottle of wine. And that each person that comes in is kind of important. You got there... Like the Pharisee's cousin who's there. You got a prominent businessman there as well. You got a government official. There's a lawyer. There's all of these who's who that's kind of gathered around this table. And you're now rubbing shoulders with people who are in positions of power. And you realize that it's about who's who in the room. And you start to realize that the guests were carefully selected, and the hopes of the host may be getting something in return, may be getting invited to that, to whoever they invite its party as well, that this arrangement was carefully crafted to benefit the host and to benefit the guest. That is what we're stepping into. Maybe the closest thing I've ever experienced to something like this is I was invited to a gala, not because I had deep pockets, but because Nicole's company did. And, um, and so we were invited to go along with a gala, and I'm, I've never worn a tux for anything, so I had to go get a tux. Nicole had to go get a special gown for it, and it was a gala to raise uh, money for the Speed Art Museum in Louisville. So we're, we walk into this place, and there's an open bar, and everyone's ordering Manhattans, and, and, um, you realize that there's just a lot of Louisville's most prominent um, business leaders there. Got this company over here, Brown Foreman over there. And 
and so forth and so on. And the whole idea is, is that to kind of rub shoulders with other people in the hopes of maybe getting some money to purchase art or whatever. And that is a really extreme version of kind of what we see in relationships in the time of Jesus sometimes and relationships in our own time, that they're sometimes based on like a reciprocal or transactional kind of relationship, that we often enter into relationships with what we can get back out of them, that we have a selfish sort of motive at times. And we see this today. We see certain people get closer to other people so that they can eventually earn favors or so forth and so on, and around we go. So that's the context. That's what we're stepping into. And so Jesus is in the middle of this dinner party with carefully selected guests. And, you know, people are eating, and he's like, you know, when you throw a party, you should really, you should really, you know, don't invite your friends. Don't invite your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. And suddenly, you have to wonder if all the people are looking around the room going, I'm the rich neighbor, I'm the brother, I'm the sister. Jesus is talking at me. And I don't know, I mean, the party's already awkward, right? Jesus just healed somebody. It's already kind of an awkward party. And Jesus is just like, yeah, you know, when you throw a party, you shouldn't invite the people like you. And I don't know if Peter's like, yeah, host, I'll have another glass of wine. I don't know what, what's going on in the room. You kind of place yourself there. But it's tense and it's awkward because Jesus insulted everyone in a room and offended their sense of what's normal and expected in relationships. So you don't need to invite your rich friends and the people that will make you look good or the people that will give you something in return. And then instead, Jesus directs people to invite the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. Jesus says, when you throw a party, invite the people who are the outcasts. Invite the people far away. Invite the people who give you nothing back. Invite the people that everyone else thinks is on the outs. These are the people you should have around your table. And why is Jesus? What's the reason? He directs us this way. Well, the reason is, is because Jesus, he's going at something, once again, he is going at something much deeper. He's going at their heart. And he's not, listen, like you can take a hyper-literal approach. Jesus isn't against inviting people and neighbors to your party. But he's trying to show and go after our relationships. And the reason, Jesus says, to invite people on the outs is because God can reward you for it. What Jesus is doing is he's turning over the relational structures that most people often buy. He's operate by. He's upending the way relationships work. He's going after this kind of reciprocal that when you, then you, when you relate to someone, you're looking for something in response rather than a one-way relationship, one that's based on grace. See, most people operate this way in their relationships with other people, like I said, but most people also operate this way in their relationship with God. That, that if I do certain things, then God owes me something back. And what Jesus is beginning to do with this, with this real-life occasion and then with the parable that we're about to step into is he's saying that, listen, relationships in the kingdom of God don't work like relationships everywhere else. Because we are scorekeepers at heart. We constantly keep track of what 
we do and what others do. We keep records of right and wrong, of good and bad. We hold debts. We expect things in return. Our relationships are transactional. And this starts at a young age. This starts with someone invited you to their party. You should invite them to yours, right? We, we say with our little kids. We like being seen with certain people, so we try to leverage them, invite them into our, into our lives. And what Jesus is doing is going after this way of relating, that this isn't the way people in the kingdom relate to God. It's not the way God relates to them, and it's not the way we are to relate to other people. The way of the kingdom is to look towards others with grace instead of what they can give to you. Well, the conversation takes a hard shift towards a parable, and we see our second point, party rejections. So Jesus dropping this awkward, hey, when you have a party, don't invite the people like this. Invite the outcast, the lame, the blind, the maim. And I love this. I don't know what's going on. I can only read the text. Um, But some guy says, blessed is the one who eat bread in the kingdom of God. And I don't know if he's making, like, if he's Jesus juking or if it's just, like, awkward around the room and he holds up his his glass and he's like, cheers, blessed is the one who eat bread in the kingdom, trying to, like, smooth things over, change the subject. But Jesus will have none of it. He just kind of rolls right back into it with the guy and begins telling a parable. And the parable is about a master who throws a large banquet. Now, banquets back then function much like they do now. You can imagine that if you're throwing a party, you need to know who's going to be there so that you can make enough food, especially in a time where things were more limited than they are right now. So he would have sent out invitations to the party, much like you would get an invitation to a wedding or something like that. And you would RSVP, RSVP, say, yes, I will be there. I will be at that party. And so the the master does this. He, he arranges all this stuff. He's, the banquet's ready. He's slaughtered whatever animal they're going to eat that day. He's arranged for all of the food. It's a big banquet. And so he sends his servant back out, and he's met with all sorts of excuses from the people he's invited. And we see at least three different categories of excuses. The first is the excuse based on wealth. Look at verse 18. The first one said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. The first excuse is ridiculous, because who buys a field that they haven't looked at yet? Who buys a field, gets invited to a party, says yes, but then when the servant comes and says, hey, everything's ready, it's like, you know, I got to go see about a field that I bought. It's a lame excuse. He cares more about his wealth, his property, his possessions than he does the party. And he opts out. The second excuse is about business matters. Second guy says, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. He's got new oxen for his agricultural work. Now, do you really need to try out oxen? Like, do you really need to, like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that when he was making the, the payment for these oxen, that he was buying oxen that were probably going to work his field all right. They, I, I don't think they had a return policy on oxen that he needed to go try it out and, like, give it back. But that's his excuse. 
He cares more about his business than attending the party. He cares more about what he can produce than attending the party that he's invited to. And he cares more about his business and his personal matters. The, the, the third excuse we see is family matters. Servant goes to the last guy, and the last guy goes, hey, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. And I don't know if this was just some lame, sorry excuse. Um, there's some commentators think that this was a wildly inappropriate response because it kind of cued them into like intimate activity, like guy basically saying, I'll be busy, and so I can't come. But that's, but basically, either way, his family came before the party. He told this guy yes. And Luke keeps returning. This isn't the first time we've seen these three categories in the Gospel of Luke. But he keeps returning to these three categories. We got our wealth, we got what we produce, and we have our possessions, we have our families, we got all of these things that are not bad things. But they have a way of taking over. And they have a way of getting in the way of our relationships with God. Wealth. Wealth is a toxic thing. It's not a bad thing to be wealthy. But when it comes before God, it's terrible. It's an idol. And it keeps us from the party. We can care more and more about consuming more and more that we miss the God who has everything we need. Our work has a way of doing the same. We can become slaves to productivity, what we can produce, what we can make. We can, we can even reduce ourselves down to serving our work. And business and busyness have a way of just being terribly toxic to the soul. And we can end up serving them. So they can take away our desire for God. They can take away our desire to join with God's people. And then family. Family's wonderful. Family's a good gift from God. But family can distract us. If it, if it rises, if it, exceeds, if it exceeds God in our minds, we end up living for our families instead of living for our God. And so Jesus keeps going after these same things in different ways. We can serve our wealth or we can serve God. We can serve our families or we can serve God. Something's got to have the chief priority of your life where it can get in the way of your relationship with God. And this is only a sampling of the excuses that this servant was getting. None of these things are bad in of themselves. None of them are sinful and wrong. But rather than bring them to the party with them, rather than bring their experiences and life to the party with them, they choose to exempt themselves from the party altogether. These are good things that have taken over. And not only are these good things that have taken over, but these things is a, like them asking to be excused from the party is a snub to the master. They've already said yes, they would go. They already have said that they wanted to be there. And then they're like, you know what? Nah. Imagine throwing an elaborate party. You know, you got your, think about your own wedding maybe, and you, you think, you know, this person is, I don't know, $35 ahead. And you and imagine inviting all of these people. They all said yes. And then like all of a sudden, 
None of them decide to show up. And you're out like $35 a head. Um, and it would be rude. It would be a snub to you. Like, what do you mean that you're just like skipping out on something that you said you wanted to be a part of? Well, this is what these excuses are here. They're a snub to the master who invited them in the first place. It's a snub to the party of God whenever we put these things in front of him. Whenever we say out of one side of our mouth, God, I want you, and then we live for these other areas instead. But friends, the people at God's party, the people that are gonna be at God's party are the people that will enjoy it the most. God doesn't force anyone to his party. The master in the story, he doesn't like say, servant, go get those people. I paid that $35. I slotted this calf. Go get them, drag them here, make them eat the food. No, that's not what he does at all. No one is going to force you to the party. God will not force you to the party. And, And friends, in Christ, he is throwing a party where sins can be forgiven, where you can live free in relationship to God and in relationship to one another, where you can completely reorient your life and give you purpose and hope. But he will not force you there. He will invite you, but he will not force you. So come to the party. Realize the futility of chasing all of the other things of money, of family, of wealth, of business. None of those things are bad, but they are meant to be used to serve God. So come to the party. God is inviting you to his party. And realize that you can bring nothing to the table at all and that God loves you. These people rejected the offer to the party. But as we'll see, the party will go on. The party will go on. Servant goes back to his master with the news. Hey, these guys aren't coming. And how does the master respond? Verse 21 Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, blind and lame. The very people that Jesus said to invite, the master invites to his party. Servant comes back, says, master, there's still room. We got all these people. There's still room for your party. Master says, Later, go out into the highways, into the hedges. These are where the derelicts would be. These are the people furthest away from this kind of a party. He says, go out into the highways and hedges. Tell them to come in so that my house will be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. And what do we take from this parable? What do we take from this passage's conclusion? Several things. First, first thing I want us to get from all of this. God is throwing a party in Jesus in the way he relates is different than any other relationship. We can see over and over in the text of Luke. We've seen for weeks now, we see right here that 
God is inviting people to himself and that the only way to him is through Jesus. So Jesus is standing here. He's talking to these people that he's been talking to over and over and over again, trying to get them to see that he is the Messiah. He is the one that's come. And the only way to have that relationship with God is through him. It's not through religious observance. It's not through the works that they do. It is through him. Everything inside of us wants to bring something to the table in our relationship with God. And what Jesus keeps coming back to over and over and over again is that you can't. You just can't. Some of us want to hold on to our legalism. We want to follow the rules in such a way that God will love us. But what we see is that God loves people in spite of who they are. God will love us. And this leads us to the second thing. In God's party, no one deserves to be there. And this is good news. You see, the good news is that we're invited to a party that we would never be invited to on our own. Imagine how the people felt in the parable. The derelicts, the people far from being loved in society, the people no one wanted to be a a part of the people who smelled bad and looked bad, the people who were just completely deranged to most of society. Imagine how they felt when they got to this banquet and they're looking around at each other and you're like, can you believe we're here? Can you believe we're here? Look at that food. We would never, we can't give anything back. Is the master going to ask for anything back? He can't. Surely he knows that we're the, we don't have anything to give back. Well, friends, in the party of God, we got nothing to give back. We are, we show up at a party and it's a feast where we get to commune with God and commune with other people. We show up at a party and realize that we're forgiven, that we're treated as equals around the table and that we can give nothing back. Those people, they probably really enjoyed being a part of that party, realizing that they couldn't give anything back, that they could only receive all of the goodness that was put in front of them. Robert Capon writes, Jesus proceeds straight to the losers and the dead ducks who are from, uh, who form the heart of the parable of the great banquet. Here are the people who are having the time of their lives, free food, free drinks, free costumes, all on the day when they woke up expecting nothing, if not worse. There was no way they could have imagined themselves as they are now, the social equals of the winners the hosts first invited. That's what Jesus does. Jesus invites us to a banquet and he pulls us close to him and says, here, come. Know the good life. Know what it is to have purpose and meaning. Know that I see you, that I know you, that I care about you. Know that in my eyes, you are the winners. Not because of what you've done, just because I want to love you and I want to bless you. Titus says he saved us, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. That's how God relates to us. So we just show up to God, realizing that we get there only by grace, not by nothing that we do. The third thing I want us to see through all of this is that God is inviting us, therefore, as people who have received grace upon grace in Christ, to be people who associate with the outcast, with the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. We are called to be lovers of the least, to be people whose relationships are not defined 
by give and take, but by define, but are defined by grace. We enter relationships not because we can what we can get out of them, but because God has related to us freely. So we just love others freely because Christ has loved us. So who are the people in your life that you need to love? Are there people that you need to run to and look after? Or maybe it's just the way you think about relationships, where you think about them selfishly instead of selflessly. Friends, we need to run to the people that are hard to love because Christ ran to us. We were the outcast. We were the people on the highways and hedges that Jesus invited close. The fourth thing I want us to see here is that we're called to associate with the lowly, but we are also called to invite others to the party. Scripture is filled with feasts. Feast after feast. Feasting in the Old Testament, there's feasting in the New Testament. We are people expecting a future feast with Jesus. And in the meantime, we need to be people who invite people to that feast. God is throwing a a party that will culminate at the end of time. When we'll eat, drink, and be merry with Jesus. And until then, we are called to be people who let people know, hey, the master is throwing a feast and he is inviting you to it in Jesus. You don't have to bring anything. In fact, you can't bring anything. So we, so we herald this good news. Isaiah says, uh, on this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine Vintage wine. God is preparing a future feast. And this is what it'll look like. And I don't know when you, what you feel like when you read that, but I want to be at that feast. And I would love it if other people would be there too. So we need to be people who herald the good news. That God is redeeming the world to himself in Christ. That he's putting things back right again. That the, what you're really looking for is Jesus. So we invite people to this feast. The other thing we see in this is that the Lord Jesus Christ, his party will be full. His party will go on. Nothing will stand in its way, not the excuses of others. And when we show up at that party, it'll be standing room only because there will be people there that have found Jesus. And the people there are going to be the people that enjoy it the most the people who know that they brought nothing to the table. So friends, as we look forward to a future feast when Christ returns, we come to a weekly feast known as communion. This is a weekly meal that we take. We call it the Lord's table. This is not my table. This is not River of Grace's table. This is the Lord's table. And he invites those who place their faith in Jesus Christ to come to him. It's a reminder that when we come to this feast, this weekly meal, that the only reason we get to partake of it is not for what we've done, but because of what's been done for us. That we remember the only reason we get to come to the table is through Jesus Christ. And we remember, friends, that at this table, there is no richer for 
There's no upper class and lower class. We come to this table as equals. People in need of Jesus. Realizing that we bring nothing to it. We come to this table knowing that this is our common union, our communion, where we gather around Jesus and feast upon him. Jesus said that his flesh was true food and his blood is true drink. It's kind of weird. But he's reminding us that we feast upon him and he can nourish our faith. And we hold symbols of broken bodies and poured out blood. And we remind ourselves that this this little feast is a feast where we remember that God is preparing a future feast and throwing a party. And this feast then sends us out into the world to share this good news with the world. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, communion is not for you. It is for people who place their faith in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, come. Come with your sins and your sorrows and your struggles. Come. You are not worse off or better off than anyone else in this room. You're someone who needs Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat at a feast with a bunch of people that no one would probably pick for this party. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together.